Take all I have in these hands and multiply God, all that I am and find my heart On the altar again, set me on fire Set me on fire All right, so we're in Numbers 12 And God just told Miriam, Aaron, and Moses to come out of the tent of meeting And in verse 5 says, And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, and he stood at the entrance of the tent, and he summoned Aaron and Miriam. When both of them stepped forward, he said, Listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So it says that Moses is the most humble on the face of the earth. And God says, when I speak to Moses, I don't make allusions to him. I don't speak in dreams and in, it says riddles, but it means dark or deep sayings, right? When he speaks to Moses, he speaks as a person would speak to another person in frank discussion. That's how God spoke to Moses. And then he looks at Miriam and Aaron. And he says, why are you not afraid to speak evil against them? I thought that was interesting. You know, Psalm 107 or 103, verse 7, you don't have to turn there, but it says, God made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. So God told Moses the wise and the wherefores. He was the guy that God entrusted with the information. And here, Arian and Miriam are going around, well, I talked to God too. You know, what's so special about Moses? And God just told him what was so special. He was humble. He was more humble than anybody else. You know, we've talked about that in this fellowship, that the natural state of man is hostility towards God, right? That when we talk about God, mankind just has a problem with God. He's resistant to God's will for his life. He's recalcitrant. There's a word for you. He's stubbornly defiant of God's authority and God's guidance. And he's obstinate. Everybody know what obstinate, obstinate means? Okay, you know what that means? Obstinate. Very good. That's right. Stubborn. Difficult. A obstinate person is stubbornly committed to his own path and his own plan. So here's God up there, and he's trying to say, look, I want to guide you. And what is man doing? No, I don't need your help doing it on my own. When we talk about humbleness, we envision a person who is weak, and we envision a person who lacks self-worth. We see a person who doesn't stand up for himself, typically. And that is not the biblical definition of humbleness. The biblical definition of humbleness is very different. Humbleness is not weakness. It's discipline. It's obedience. And it's a choice made by a servant to follow his master's will, right? That you choose to follow. Go to Exodus chapter 10. Exodus 10. You know, when I became a a believer, I was 24 years old, and I still had a real hard time with the word obedience. And the reason being is because my father would wag his finger at us and say, you're not being obedient. And then I was in the Navy, and I was required to be obedient in the Navy. And I was getting pretty tired of people telling me what to do all the time. And then I came to Christianity, and all of a sudden, you're talking about obedience there as well. But obedience is a natural part of life. Everybody wants to think that they're, they are their own master. They're not. (laughs) 
Bob Dylan had a song, everybody follows somebody. You just get to choose who you follow, that's all. Exodus chapter 10, look at verse 1. It says, And then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform this miraculous sign of mine among them, that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may worship me. This is the great showdown between Moses and Pharaoh. And that's the question that Moses asked Pharaoh. How long will you be stubborn, Jake? How long will you be obstinate, right? How long will you resist my will and not be humble? This is in a type indicative or uh, uh, representative of mankind's defiance to the uh, to God and his will, his refusal to humble himself before God. And if you look at the entire human race, that's typically how people are. They're resistant to God. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Look in verse 1. It says, Be careful to follow every command that I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter in and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Right? What's that land? Well, that's the promised land, right? The land of milk and honey. It says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what is in your heart, whether or not you will keep his command. So God is humbling. God had Israel in the desert for all that period of time. And the purpose of that was to humble them, to teach them. He was humbling their people so that he could see what's in their hearts. Verse 3, it says, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So God had to teach Israel to be dependent upon him, right? When Israel came out of Egypt, they were dependent on whom? Well, the Egyptians, unfortunately. And then they transitioned, I'm sure, from that point to trying to depend on themselves. And God's saying, nope. I want you to depend upon me. I am your sufficiency. And not just in a general fashion. We talked about it last week. God wanted Israel to depend on him every single day. Every single day. Talked about the manna from heaven, right? And it was given to them daily. So God wanted his people to depend upon him. Man's stubborn insistence is to do it his own way. God was intervening and teaching that man is never blessed when he is defiantly self-sufficient. I was thinking of uh, Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. I did it my way. God is teaching us to seek him first. Seek him first. What'd you say? That's right. Do it his way. Isn't that something? Seek him first. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8. And in verse 11, it says, Be careful. I always think that's important. That would be a good teaching to go through the Bible and every place that God says, be careful, check it out. That means pay attention, right? This is important. Be careful. 
Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and are settled down, and when you herd the flocks, or when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So Israel, right? Israel comes out of Egypt. They wander around in the desert. And then what happens? Then they go into the promised land. And once in the promised land, all of a sudden, all the heartache, all the tribulation, the challenges are gone. Everything is good. Does anybody know why they call it the promised land or call it the land of milk and honey? Do you know why it is, Jake? Do you? It flowed with abundance and you didn't work for it. It was there, right? You don't make honey, do you? And you don't make milk. They're provided for you. Isn't that something? So when we talk about God's providence, you've heard that word providence before, that God provides. God taught Israel, look, rely upon me and I will provide for you. But then Israel, he was warning here, don't go into the promised land and start getting fat and happy, right? We live in a very abundant culture, don't we? So abundant that a lot of times we're so self-satisfied that we don't think about God and we don't thank him for our abundance. It's kind of an interesting phenomenon, isn't it? That you go to some of these third world nations and you come across believers that are amazing. They love God. God is in every one of their thoughts. They are absolutely dependent upon God and they have very little. But then you come to this country and we have so much and people forget about God. You would think it would be the opposite. It goes on in verse 15. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and its scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your forefathers had never known to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. See, that's God's heart for you. He's going to have you go through certain lessons. He's going to teach you certain things. You know, there are ministries that say, look, you know, you get saved, everything's going to work out for you. You name it, you claim it, right? Life is good. Is that how it is? No, 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 no. For each one of us, there is a necessary journey. There's a journey. It's a faith journey. It's you and God journeying through life. And there are going to be good times and there are going to be challenging times. There are going to be times where you're going to go to God and you are in a panic and you say, God, help me. I don't know what to do. And God will shine through and show you, right? And that's your wilderness, isn't it? We all have one. We all spend our time in the desert going through our challenges. And then it, there's a payoff, right? We start walking into the, our own personal land of milk and honey. God's blessing us. But then we have a bad habit of doing what? Corey said that we walk through the land of milk and honey into the next desert, right? There's a Psalm 107, Psalm 107 that says, you know, man started off, he was blessed with abundance. Well, let's, let's read it here. Go to, go to Psalm 107. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those he redeemed from the land of the foe, those he gathered from the lands from east and west, from north and south, who wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. 
They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Next verse. Some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom. Prisoners suffering in iron chains. They had rebelled against the words of, the, of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And what did he do? He saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, for his wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron, right? So we've done this twice now, haven't we? Mankind gets himself into a fix, and then he does what? He cries out for God, and God delivers him. Some, verse 17, became fools through their rebellious way and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near to the gates of death. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent forth his word and healed them and rescued them from the grave. So, isn't that interesting? So go back to Deuteronomy. See, God is with us in our journey through life. He's with us at every point. Look at verse 17. It says, you may say to yourself, my power and my strength and my hand of hands uh, have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. Isn't that something? So that's important for us, that when we are blessed with God's abundance, what do we do? We give God the glory. We give God the glory and we remember God blessed us. When we forget, we fall back into the soup. Go to Luke chapter 18. Staying humble, staying humble before God. Luke chapter 18, look at verse 9. It says, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Have we ever met anybody like this? Have you ever met anybody like that who was very confident in themselves and looked down on everybody around them? Yeah, me too. Look at it, Listen to this. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. Now, that doesn't sound like a bad thing, right, tax collector? But in this culture, the tax collectors were actually thought upon as being the worst of the worst. And why was that? Because they were Jews who were collecting taxes for the Romans, who were the occupiers. So they people didn't think very highly of the tax collectors. So you had a Pharisee who in that culture was highly esteemed, right? And then you had this tax collector that people looked down their nose. And it and verse 11, it says, and the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. I think that's interesting. He prayed about himself. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the one, the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What does it mean to exalt yourself? Josh, you know what it means to exalt yourself? It means put yourself forward, right? 
I'm great. Look at me. I'm awesome. That's exalting yourself. And Jesus says, the person who exalts himself will be humbled, but the person who humbles himself will be exalted. Isn't that great? That God doesn't care too much about people going around putting themselves forward as being awesome and great. He's awesome and great. God is. And God will share his awesomeness and his greatness with those who submit and are humble to God. Another verse in the Bible that says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Well, I, I want to be the humble. And the only way that you're going to be humble is if you appreciate the greatness of God. That's the only way it works. God has got to be bigger in your heart and mind than you are. Go to Luke chapter 14. This is kind of a practical verse, but I think it's pretty significant. You know, I work in an industry where people are very, how do you say, self-serving, self-promoting. They want to put themselves forward, right? Always, you know, you got to always put your best foot forward. You've heard that phrase before, right? Put your best foot forward. So what you have is you have a lot of uh, people who have a lot of, you know, they're, you know, they have their, their presentation side and then their real side, right? The real side oftentimes is, you know, having money troubles, having drinking problems, having family problems. But at work, you know, you're all cleaned up and looking good. They're self-promoting. That's a real problem with people, right? Yeah, yeah. Look how great I look at school, but in your real heart, you're dying. And I think it's important that as, you know, representatives of God, that we can see past the facade and see somebody's real heart and say, look, you know, let me help. Anyway, uh, Luke 14, look at verse 8. It says, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take a place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may be invited, may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Isn't that humiliating? Give this man your seat. And then humiliated, you will have to take uh, the least important place. So you have you have this guy, he walks in, right? He He's at this wedding banquet and he goes up to the head table and sits himself right next to the groom or something, right? Because he's an honored guest. Look at me. And then the host who invited somebody else who was intended to sit in that seat would have to come up to you and say, um, I need you to move a little bit. You're, this seat isn't for you. That's humiliating, isn't it? And that's the whole point. It says, but when you are invited, take the lowest seat lowest place so that when you, the when your host comes he will say to you friend move up to a better place then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted how about that so that's a little practical advice don't walk into the room thinking that everybody's checking you out and thinking you're all that great be humble if your whole life is about glorifying God, you're never going to walk into a room and say, I wonder how many people are looking at me, right? That's not your gig. Self-promotion isn't what you're all about. You're about promoting God. When you walk into a room, I mean, a, a true servant of God, a true man of God is surprised when somebody says, I want you to sit over here in the seat of honor. Should be surprised. Remember the Pharisee that we just got finished reading about. Well, we don't want to be that guy. Go to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23. We want to be humble, humble servants of God, humble servants of the truth. We aren't into self-promotion. Matthew chapter 23. And it's interesting when you, you think about it, where does envy come from? 
Well, it comes from your sin nature, but if you're all about promoting yourself and then you see somebody else get promoted higher than you, what what happens? You start envying this person. That's where envy comes from. Hey, wait a minute, how'd this guy get this all this praise and I never got it? But if we are humble and we're all about God's glory, are we going to be tempted to be envious when somebody else gets a promotion? Because that's not what we're about. Uh, Matthew 23, look at verse 1. It says, And Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, The teacher of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything that they tell you. But do not do what they do. They don't practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. So you have these men, these Pharisees, are supposed to be ministers of God. And what are they doing? They're going around putting burdens on people's shoulders. Not literal burdens, but burdens of expectation. You know, you need to clean your act up. You need to do this. You need to do that. And they burden people rather than remove the burdens. Verse 5, everything they do is done for men to see. Look at me. They make their phylacteries. You know what a phylactery is? And the bigger the phylactery, the cooler you were, right? Yeah, 23, Matthew 23. Uh, They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. In that culture, that really meant that you were somebody. They love the place of honor at banquets and love important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have only one master, and you are all brothers. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I mean, you think about that. Yes, within the household, we have, you know, big brothers, big sisters, you know. But there is an equality when it all comes down to it, that Jesus is all of our Lord, right? He's our Lord. Verse 8, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father. For you have one Father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Are we getting the point? (laughs) Right? It's not about self-promotion. You trying to show everybody what a great person you are. It's all about showing people who your master is your God and your Lord. Go to Micah. I love this record. This is a really wonderful record. Micah. Look in verse or chapter 6, Micah 6, and in verse 6. It says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I'm going to read that over again. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. To walk humbly with your God. It just speaks for itself. Go to Isaiah chapter 57. And in verse 10, it says, you were wearied by all your ways, but you could not say it is hopeless. You found renewal of your strength. And so you did not faint. I've been there. (laughs) 
your whole life is falling apart, but you keep on keeping on, right? Verse 11, whom have you so dreaded and feared that you have been false to me and have neither remembered me nor pondered this in your heart? Is it not because I have long been silent that you do not fear me? I will expose your righteousness and your works, and they will not benefit you. When you cry out for help, let your collection of idols save you, right? The wind will carry all of them off. A mere breath will blow them away. But the man who makes me his refuge will inherit the land and possess my holy mountain. Isn't that great? And it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the road, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. For this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. What does the word contrite mean? Anybody know? Contrite means that if you do something wrong and you get called on it, you're actually sorry for what you did. A lot of times when we do something wrong and we get called on it, we're, we're kind of bummed that we got caught, right? But when God points out our failings and our mis, you know, misadventures, when he points those out to us, we should be of a contrite heart. That means we should be sorry for what we've done, right? that we recognize our own failings. Now, this doesn't mean that you walk around with your head hung low, but it does mean that that you recognize your own inability and your own failings, that by yourself, you are unworthy, and by yourself, you are lost, right, and helpless. But with God, you are blessed and able and capable. Go to Proverbs chapter 16. Look at verse 18. It says, pride goes goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall, better to be lowly or humble in spirit and among the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Go to First Peter chapter 5, look in verse 5. It says, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he may, that he may lift you up in due time. So when we humble ourselves to God, God will exalt us. He will lift us up. Go to James chapter 4, James 4, and in verse 6 it says, But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Isn't that great? There's a time where we all need to recognize that we've grown a little full of ourselves, a little reliant on ourselves, that we're promoting ourselves, that, you know, we talk about God, but we don't really rely upon God, right? It creeps in there. And when you do that, it's not a time to be going out and having a good time with your friends. It would be a better time to stay home and spend some time with God and get things right. And I think we all need to be able to recognize that, that there are times where, you know, it says here, Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Well, that's not what God wants for us all the time, but there are times where we have to get honest with God, right? Colossians chapter 3. 
Colossians 3. Look in verse 12, Colossians 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humbleness, gentleness, and patience. You know, when people look at another person, they say, wow, he's really humble and sincere. That's a compliment, isn't it? Right? Is that person being humble and sincere because they want to impress somebody? Well, it shouldn't. Humbleness should be a byproduct of your relationship with God, that you are a humble person because you recognize how great God is, and that without God, you're nothing. And we're going to end up here in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, this talks about the humility of Jesus Christ. Verse 1, it says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, If any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, by having the same love, being one in spirit and one in purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain deceit, but in humility or humbleness, consider others better than yourselves. It says do nothing out of selfish ambition. Does that mean that I don't try to get a better job? No. No, but there are people in this world who are driven by ambition. I've got to be better than the guy next to me, right? And it all becomes a striving and a contention. My father was a lot like that. And, you know, we look at our military. (laughs) My father was a, a military officer. People are climbing over each other to the top. And that's really no different than any corporation. Do we want to be part of that rat race? No, never. Remember, we're we're walking humbly with our God. How can you walk humbly with your God and be involved in the rat race? So it says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humbleness consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only on your own interests, but also on the interests of others. We have people that we know, friends of ours, or people at the office, or people in church. What are we doing? We're praying for people. What can I pray for you? I have a friend of mine whose brother just died this week, and it, and uh, he's been the brother's been dying over the past you know several months, and it's really burdened my friend at work. Well, you know, there's not a lot I can do, but I can certainly go up to him and say, "Hey, brother, you know." want to talk, or I'm praying for you, or, you know, something like that. We want to be able to help people out. Look at verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. I want to be like Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, being in the very nature of God, this is a really poor translation, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped after. In other words, he wasn't being ambitious, right? That's the point here, that Jesus wasn't saying, hey, I want God's job. He, but what? in contrast to that, what did he do? He made himself nothing, or he humbled himself, and he took upon the nature of a servant, a servant. He wasn't trying to be the big shot. He was out there helping people. He took upon himself this, the nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he, what? Humbled himself and became obedient. Humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. Remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? And what did he say? He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from before me, but not my will, but 
thine be done. That's the definition of humbleness. Not my will, but thine. Not my will, but thine. Verse 9, therefore God exalted him. He humbled himself, and God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, beautiful. Let me finish with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that. And we thank you, Father, that there are a lot of people who talk about humbleness, including ourselves. And Father, we thank you that we can put off the old man, that man of pride and self-promotion. And that, Father, we can put on that new man, that man of humbleness and sincerity and that, Father, we can walk humbly with you. Thank you, Father, for blessing each person in this fellowship as we walk out into our week. And, Father, help us to be more conscientious and more diligent to be a, a true servant. I thank you for these things in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Here I am, God.
Here I am, God, arms wide open. Pouring out my life, gracefully broken.